Well, friends, please join with me in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 is found on page 1175 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 16, we're going to finish our sermon series this afternoon. We're reading verses 9 to 20 of Mark chapter 16. So listen, this is God's word. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Now we're part of a small denomination And yet it's a small denomination, I believe, punches above its weight when it comes to worldwide missions. Our church is involved in bringing the good news of the gospel across this world to lands like India and Pakistan, to East Asia, to Chile, to South Sudan, Japan. Our sister churches are involved in bringing the gospel to France and Spain and the Gambia. And that's only the official work of our church. There are many individuals and many individual churches are involved in many other ministries across this world. Next week, we're looking forward to having Dr. Alia Massey come and tell us about the work of Pakistan. But why are we doing all this mission work? Why is there this emphasis in reaching out with the gospel? And so I want you to notice from our text this afternoon, that on the basis of Christ's resurrection, you are to be preaching the gospel in word and deed to the whole world. And this you can do because Christ is reigning. And children, you are also included in this call to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to draw a picture of yourself uh, telling your friends or telling your younger brother or younger sister the gospel message. So firstly, I want us to consider a difficult passage that is recognized as God's word. Now, this is a difficult passage. Many Bible translations will contain after verse 8 the following. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 to 20 that Mark did not write these verses 
And so it appears they've been added in at a later date. Now, this is no Da Vinci Code conspiracy, for by a later date, a later date would be 50 to 100 years after Mark wrote his gospel. So it's not that much later. Now, how do we know that Mark did not write these verses? Well, they're simply not consistent with Mark's gospel. They don't flow. They don't flow from verse 8 where Mark finishes. It seems in verse 9 that Mark is writing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ again for the second time. There's also a huge difference in the wording compared to the wording that Mark uses in the rest of his gospel. So why this need to add to Mark's gospel? Well, clearly there are those who didn't like the ending of Mark's gospel. It was too abrupt. Mark leaves the woman terrified and amazed, not wanting to share the gospel or the good news of the resurrection. And so they are in shock. Now, some suggest that Mark had a longer ending and it was simply lost. Others say, no, that's how Mark wanted to finish his gospel. He is a man of the immediate. He started his book abruptly and he finishes his book abruptly. He wants his readers to grasp in their fear and in their amazement that Jesus really is the Son of God. However, there are some that wish that Mark had had a more comprehensive ending. So we have verses 9 to 20. And these verses are not problematic. They are very similar to what is taught and recorded in the other Gospels, as we will see. And they aren't teaching anything new. These verses are also accepted by the early church fathers. And since the canon of Scripture had not yet been closed, these verses would have to pass the scrutiny of what would be included and excluded from the New Testament. Well, these verses are seen as inspired, written by the apostles or from the apostles' teaching, and so included in Scripture. And hopefully that gives us confidence that these words are spirit-inspired and so authoritative today. R.C. Sproul writes, in any case, the doctrines that are found in this passage are consistent with what is taught throughout the New Testament. Thus we can read and study it with confidence and profit. So let's consider what these words have to teach us. So secondly, Christ rose from the dead for you to have life, verses 9 to 14. So we read of a number of resurrection appearances in this passage. The first is Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene. Mark told us how Mary was with the other two Marys, with Jesus at the cross, how she was present at Jesus' burial, and how she joined the other two Marys as they went to anoint Jesus' body, only to discover the tomb empty. And instead, an angel told them that Jesus is not here. He is risen. Verse 9, we read that Jesus made his first appearance to Mary, And we get a fuller account of this in John's Gospel, John chapter 20. Mary must have remained in the garden after seeing the angel. And we read of her weeping. Though she was told that Jesus is risen, though she's been instructed to tell the disciples to go to Galilee, Mary is in shock. She isn't able to make sense of Jesus' empty tomb. And even though Jesus had prophesied about his resurrection, even though the angel had testified that Jesus had risen, resurrections are not normal. Mary instead thinks they have taken the body away. 
and she's no, she has no idea where they have laid him. She meets Christ in the garden, but she mistakes him for being the gardener. And asks, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And that's when Jesus said, Mary. And it's then that Mary recognized Jesus. He instructs her again to go and tell the disciples. J.C. Ryle writes, Last at the cross, first at the grave. Last to confess her master while living, and first to honor him when dead. This warm-hearted disciple was allowed to be the first to see him when the victory was won. Mary is a woman who had had seven demons inside her. Just imagine how traumatic an experience that must have been, being under the influence of evil, and yet it was Christ who had released her from this oppression. J.C. Ryle describes Mary as a chief of sinners, and yet this chief of sinners would be the one who Jesus appears to first. She would be the one who would know first that Jesus is victorious. Now Mary had put her complete confidence in Christ, not in herself, for she knew the evil that had been inside her, and she had nothing to be proud of. But when it seemed that her confidence may have been misplaced, Christ appears to her. Her hope has been renewed. Her peace with God through Christ is certain. Then we read of Jesus appearing to two disciples as they walk and went into the country. This is assumed to be the appearance of Jesus to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. On the road, Jesus met them, but they did not recognize him. And in verse 12, it suggests that Jesus took another form, a disguise of some kind. And Jesus explained to them from the scriptures how the Christ had to suffer before he would enter glory. And it was only when Jesus broke bread at the meal did they recognize that the resurrected Christ was right there before them. Now, after Jesus' uh, resurrection appearance before Mary Magdalene, before these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we read that the disciples did not believe either account. And that helps us see, again, that resurrections are not normal occurrences. They're not normal today. They're not normal back then. And the natural response is to be skeptical, as the disciples were certainly skeptical. And in verse 14, we read that Jesus appeared before the twelve as they sat at the table. And we can read of this occurrence in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. And this passage is in your outline. Uh, Luke 24, verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. 
No wonder we read here Mark's gospel in verse 14 that Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness. They wouldn't believe others who spoke of Christ's resurrection. They wouldn't even believe Christ himself, thinking him to be a ghost. The disciples took much convincing. They weren't easily swayed to believe in a dead man being alive again. But that was ultimately the truth. And they finally recognized it. And this would transform these men. Men who were afraid. Men who were hanging out from the authorities in a locked room. To men who would later go and preach the gospel openly. Even willing to face much persecution. Many of them going to their death. Because they recognize that Christ is the risen Savior. Frank Morrison was an English journalist who set out to prove that the story of Christ's resurrection was only a myth. He wanted to publish a book to clearly demonstrate to the world that in a rationalistic world, you cannot accept men rising again from the dead. He believed the Gospels to be unreliable. But the more he probed, the more he investigated Well, he was stunned by his conclusions. He found there was historical basis to the resurrection. And he ended up writing a very different book titled, Who Moved the Stone? He writes, it's not that the facts themselves that are altered, for they are recorded imperishably in the monuments and in the pages of human history. But the interpretation to be put upon the facts that underwent a change, somehow the perspective shifted not suddenly as in a flash of insight or inspiration, but slowly, almost imperceptibly, by the very stubbornness of the facts themselves. That's what happened to the disciples. And that should be true for each one of you too. Accept the historical facts. It's not that resurrections are normal, but nor are you being asked to suspend your belief in what makes sense. No, you are to see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the only possible explanation for what happened. Anything else doesn't make sense. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only rational understanding of the facts that we have. Well, thirdly, let's notice Christ has commanded you to preach the gospel. Verses 15 to 16. When you have life-changing news... You cannot keep it to yourself. You quickly send out a text or you post an update on your social media. You call a friend. Well, here we have the best news that we can ever share. The good news that you can be right with God because of Jesus Christ. And this is news that you and I as believers are commanded to share. For we read of the Great Commission here. Jesus instructs his disciples to preach the gospel to all the world. For though man is destined to judgment because of sin, through Christ there is salvation. Through Christ there can be a relationship with God. That is the message that we are to bring. Too often the church confuses this message. It teaches that we're all basically good. But the result of that teaching is, well, we don't need Christ. We don't need his death or resurrection. Or the church teaches, as long as you try hard, God will accept you. 
but that makes Christ's work completely redundant. Or that God loves you and God has a wonderful plan for you. And so you don't see the urgency of repenting of your sin or seeking forgiveness from God. No, we have to go back to the gospel. And we have to see that this message is applicable to every creature. Meaning no one is excluded. No tribe is to be excluded. No religion is deemed too hard. No class of society is deemed unworthy of hearing the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. You and I, we are to bring the gospel to this world. And God has given us a unique opportunity living here in Bloomington. Every year, hundreds, maybe even thousands of international students come to our city to study IU from across this world. The majority are now coming from India, where few of them have had much interaction with believers. And yet it is Christians who are picking them up from the airport, taking them around Walmart, providing them furniture to furnish their apartments, giving them or providing them with warm clothing to get through an Indiana winter, taking them on trips to see rural Indiana, providing them a dinner at Thanksgiving or at Christmas time. And these students, they're so grateful for all the kindness that's shown to them. And it naturally raises up questions about Christianity. It causes them to be intrigued by what is a Christian church and can they visit. They're open to hearing the gospel message. Now it's impossible for any one of us to do all of those things. But if each one of us did one activity, one airport pickup, or one trip navigating Walmart, or one of you opening up your home at Thanksgiving or at Christmas time, whatever it may be, you're making a huge gospel influence on these students. But the gospel is not simply for international students. You have friends and you have family members who do not know Christ. But God has placed you in their life. It's for you to bring the gospel to them. You have to respond to that responsibility. And as well as reaching here at home, we are to be supporting mission work across this world. And this church is incredibly generous. The last number of years, we have significantly increased our giving to mission work. And let us desire to do that again in the incoming year. So we are to proclaim the gospel And we are to see the fruit from that proclamation. Christ commands us to baptize those who put their faith in him. Now, it's not that baptism saves, but that a believer will see the importance of publicly professing his faith or her faith in Christ by being baptized along with his or her household. Those who reject Christ, those who reject the gospel, we read they will be condemned. In John's gospel, we read, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's what it comes down to, believing in Jesus Christ. But if they have not heard of Christ, then how can they be saved? And so it is an imperative that you and I, we preach the gospel Well, fourthly, you are to accompany the preaching of the gospel by your good works, verses 17 and 18. In the early church, the apostles were given power to perform signs and miracles. 
And they continued with Jesus' healing ministry. We read of Peter and John going up to the temple to pray and healing a paralyzed man. We read of even Peter's shadow having the power to heal as he walked by those who were sick. There were also exorcisms of demons. Paul went in Philippi. He removed a demon from a girl who was making a fortune for her master, telling people's fortunes. The apostles had the ability to speak in different tongues, in different languages. And this was very clearly seen at the time of Pentecost, when people heard the Christians speaking in their native tongues, despite them never studying the language. We also read here of being able to handle snakes without being attacked, or drinking poison without any ill effect. Now, neither of these are particularly familiar. There is the case of Paul on the island of Malta accidentally picking up a snake and being bitten, but nothing happening to him. We read of the local people marveling, wondering if Paul is a god. There's also a case in church history of someone being forced to drink poison without suffering any harm as a result. And it's hard to know what to make of either of these examples of handling snakes or drinking poison, whether it's to be taken literally or whether it's more symbolic language. Patrick is known for removing the snakes from Ireland, but it's not thought to be literal snakes that he removed, although Ireland has no natural snakes. Instead, it is a removal of paganism from the island. So we can't be certain what is exactly meant by these specific signs. Now, for us today, we do not live in the apostolic age. It was a unique time in church history when the canon of scripture still had to be finalized. It was a time when those who had witnessed Christ's death, Christ's death and resurrection were still alive. But as believers, you're still to preach the good news of Christ by your demonstration of good works. Now, the danger, of course, is that it's all good works and no gospel message. And so we must be careful. And the most obvious way to do this is for you to show your love and your interest in people. When you share the gospel, you are to take a deep interest in those who you are addressing. They are made in God's image. They are no more worthy of the gospel than you are. And yet you have the opportunity to speak to them about Christ. And so see the enormity of the privilege. Remember how the gospel transformed you. And it's powerful to transform anyone. J.C. Ryle writes, Finally, let us never forget that Christ's believing church in the world is of itself a standing miracle. The conversion and perseverance and grace of every member of that church is a sign of wonder, as great as rising of Lazarus from the dead. The renewal of every saint is as great a marvel as the casting out of a devil, or the healing of a sick man, or the speaking with a new tongue. Let us thank God for this and take courage. The age of spiritual miracles is not yet past. Happy are they who have learned this by experience and can say, I was dead, but I'm alive again. I was blind. Now I see. And one of the greatest needs in our community today is the lack of community. Even though we are more connected than ever, we have hundreds, maybe even thousands of friends, and yet we have never been more lonely. 
And the church is a beautiful community that isn't virtual, but is real. A group of people who are not arrogant, but humble. A group of people who know how to love because Christ loved them first. And we often underestimate just how powerful a sign that this is. But when it's the opposite, when Christians fall out with one another, when there isn't a forgiving attitude, when there is a desire for revenge or a desire for recognition, well, that does much damage to the gospel witness. You should not allow this to take place. You should not entertain these thoughts, but instead seek reconciliation, even if it comes at much personal cost. So accompany the preaching of the gospel with your good works. Well, fifthly and finally, have confidence in declaring the gospel, for Christ is reigning, verses 19 to 20. So the passage ends with Christ's ascension up into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He is reigning over us. And this should give us confidence. We live in a world that seems very unpredictable. We live in a world where Christianity appears to be on the slide. But our assessment is far from accurate. While it seems that there is little happening, Christ is reigning. While it seems that this world is out of control, nothing happens unless he allows it. And in his reign, the gospel is prospering. We see this with the apostles. They went out, they preached everywhere, and the Lord was working with them, confirming the word through accompanying signs. And it certainly made an impact. Very soon, the gospel spread from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Very soon, across the whole Roman Empire, there were Christians in every major city. And soon it spread to the rest of Europe, to India, to Africa. It continued to spread to the Americas, to Australia. And now it's spreading in Asia. And you're aware of this. You've heard of the gospel growing in China and Iran at enormous rates. Even in South Sudan, we have seen our church grow rapidly. And there has been a call for new workers. And it hasn't always been obvious how God would answer that call. The mission board are aware that the Hannas are leaving the mission field this year. Yet they did not know who would replace them. That is until recently. God has provided laborers again. The Blexen family from Australia, they have responded to this gospel call. And so we need to trust Christ, recognizing that he is reigning and he will enable his gospel to spread. He will provide the workers to preach the gospel. So do not grow discouraged as you preach God's word, as you support the work of missions, for Christ is reigning and he's causing the preaching of the gospel to be effective. And you do not do it alone. For as we read here, the Lord is working with them, confirming the word. God is working with you, blessing your witness, enabling you to make an impact. Paul writes of this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain, for we see God blessing it. 
And we see God blessing it here. And so on the basis of Christ's resurrection, you are to preach the gospel by word and deed to the whole world. And this you can do because Christ is reigning. Well, next summer, the mission committee is organizing a mission team to Northern Ireland. And I would like for each one of you to consider, is this something that I could do? Don't think, oh, that's a nice thing for someone else to do in the congregation. No, I want you to consider, is that something that you could do? A group of us went to Pittsburgh last summer, an unlikely group of people, and yet God blessed that team to be a massive encouragement to that church and to each one of us on the team. And God will do the same with this mission team to Ireland, for he has promised to be with you and to bless you as you preach the gospel. So on the basis of Christ's resurrection, you are to preach the gospel by word and deed to the whole world. And this you can do because Christ is reigning. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that this is fact, and so we have confidence in the gospel message. We thank you that through Christ that we can be in relationship with you. We thank you for how he has defeated sin, which is a barrier, and he has defeated the consequences of sin, which is death, and instead been raised up to life. Lord, help us to preach this message to this world. Help us to reach out to our friends and to our family members. Help us to see the importance of good works that demonstrates the truth of the gospel to this world. And we thank you that we don't do this alone, that you are with us, and that you bless the proclamation of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn to your blue psalm book, to Psalm 126b. Psalm 126b, this psalm speaks of the hard work of going out with bags of seed and sowing in tears. But also there's a promise in the psalm that we will reap with joy at harvest time. So let that encourage you as you go out and you preach the good news. Let's stand and sing Psalm 126b.